Welcome to the City View Church podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. As a church, part of our vision is that we would leave legacies. I know some of you, maybe you're newer and this is, you haven't heard much about who we are, but we want to be a church that, that we want to have, we want to be the most thriving church where every life is a thriving life and where we leave legacies. Leaving legacies, we believe, is found in families. It's found in the next generation. It's found in, in those young people that, that we have. And some are in this room right now. We've got some junior high and high school students in here right now. And then we have a bunch of them in our children's ministry. You know, I remember growing up as a kid, we'd have these times called family meetings. Anybody ever have family meetings in your home where it was like, okay, we've got to get some things in order. You guys ever do that? Um, and I remember that. And at that at those family, we do it in our home, and at those family meetings, you sort of share, hey, this is, this is what we're seeing. And so as, as your pastor and as your shepherd, I need to share with you one of our biggest things that I'm seeing is, is our city kids, I don't know how to say it, but like we have to close the service next, we have to close one of our classrooms next week or today because we just don't have anybody that can do it. And I know it's summer, but that means the kids don't have somewhere to go that's going to be for them. They can come in here. Like, they're more than welcome. And I hope I'm as engaging for a kindergartner as I am for a 80-year-old. Um, but, I, I mean, we have no problem with kids coming. Kids are always welcome. But we know how much the kids love city kids. So I'm going to share with you an opportunity. Some of you might say, I, I, kids are not my thing. It, that, that would make me uncomfortable. Jesus doesn't call us to serve in our comfort. He just calls us to serve because there's a need. He calls us to serve because that's what he's put in each and every one of us. And I'm going to say some of us, we just sit. And you're serving the Lord is like, well, I volunteer at the homeless shelter. That's great. But Jesus called you to serve your church, the people that you go to church with. That's what we're called. We're called, and our heart is we want to be, because we want to be a thriving church, living thriving lives, leaving legacies. Well, being a thriving church means we need to all get on the same page. I'm going to be honest, some of us aren't. Now, there's different ways of serving, and there's different ways of doing those things. But one of our biggest needs right now is city kids. Now, in two weeks, I'm going to talk about your spiritual gifts and how you can serve and use them. In two weeks, I'm going to do a very quick sermon on how to use your spiritual gifts. Um, I have a whole series I've done on YouTube that you can watch but I'm going to do a really quick one in two weeks when we study 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. I think it's those verses. It's somewhere in that section. But I needed to share with you, and I'm going to share with the next service, that if you're going, God, and maybe God's staring you, go, hey, you know what? It's time for you to maybe get uncomfortable. Pour into the next generation. Be part of leaving a legacy. We provide everything you need, crafts, material to talk to talk to kids about we have a whole the first 20 minutes is all worship and helping the kids have a lot of fun um your room is going to be super brand new renovated in the next few weeks um they have brand new air conditioners which are amazing in that room um you can give it up for that um but i just needed to share with you um that 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 is a place maybe god's stirring in your heart i just needed to make you aware of that. And I hope that maybe God serves, because I hate when I get the email that says a classroom is closed. And to be honest, you want to know what I want to do when I get that email? Say, then I'm not going to preach. 
because they're more important than you. I'm going to be honest. The kids, God, God talks a lot to the kids. He says, do not let any of them stumble. Jesus stopped everything he did to love the little children. He said, no, let the little children come to me. His passion was them. For everybody else who's old, his passion for them was stop sinning. Live for the kingdom of God. That's what his message was, the kingdom of God. It wasn't go be a sponge, fill up and feel good and comfortable at the end of church service. That's all I'm gonna say. When I got that message, I was like, oh, Jared, how about you preach and I'll go teach the kids. But that's not what I'm gonna do. First Peter chapter three. That's all I'm gonna say. Some of you are like, man, he's mean. I, I don't, you know, I'm sure our kids thought the same thing when we do that meeting and say, hey, you need to clean your room. It's the reality. So there is this thing here in America called the Declaration of Independence. And it says this. It's going to be behind me. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Who doesn't want life? Who doesn't want liberty? And who doesn't want to be happy? We all do, right? We all want those things. We all want life. We all want liberty, freedom, and we all want happiness. Now, there's so much more I could go into this, which I won't. I want to go into this idea that we are owed these things when we are sinners. That's a whole nother sermon. But people all around the world want to be happy. But the problem is people all around the world aren't experiencing happiness. People all around the world want to come to America. Why? Why do people want to come to the United States of America? What do we have here? We have a dream. We have the American dream. And the American dream is that you might live and experience life, that you might experience liberty and freedom, and that you might find happiness here in America. But some studies have said just the opposite, that happiness is down. 45% of people have not felt true happiness for the last two years or three years because of COVID. Over 25% don't know or have forgotten what it means to feel truly happy. 88% are looking for new experiences to just bring a smile or laughter in their life for a moment. People are prioritizing um, health 80% or connection 79% or experience 53%. That's what they want. More than half, 53%, wish they had more money because that could buy happiness. 78% of people surveyed are willing to pay a premium to feel truly happy. 89% attempt to find happiness in online shopping during um, different experiences, specifically during the pandemic. 47% of people said that that when they received a package at their door, it brought them happiness. 27% of Americans surveyed in in this another survey said that they couldn't remember what it felt like to be truly happy. 
more than half of those surveys said that they have been more unhappy in the past few years than ever in their life. One article I read said that people believe happiness should be one of the government's top priorities for them. Why do I want the government involved in my happiness? Isn't that what they've been trying to do all along is make us happier with policies, with, with different checks that we got, with all these things? Isn't that what the government is trying to do, make us happier? How are they doing in that? Apparently, according to the study, most people are still unhappy. The problem is the government is not the solution. The American dream is not the solution. More money is not the solution. Relationships, freedom, and doing whatever you want is never going to fully satisfy. The problem with the American dream is the American dream makes your heart and your desire feel like it's all about you, what you have, and how much more you can have. It's a materialistic dream. It's getting what you want. It's not a dream about needing God or being more kind to other people, but it's a dream about a selfish path that we might live. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness cannot be found in the American dream. But I can tell you one thing, it can be found in Jesus. This idea of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness cannot be found in a country or a government or who's president, but it can be found. And for many of us, we have found it. We found what true life is. We found what true liberty is, true freedom. And we found what true happiness is. And we found it in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that in you, we have light. In you, we have freedom. And in you, we can find true happiness. We can find true joy. And Lord, I ask, God, that you would speak to our hearts today. God, I pray that you'd encourage people at churches all over the valley today. Lord, I pray for Known Church and Grace Point Church and Hope City Church and Desert Breeze and Desert Springs and Desert Hills and Desert City. Lord, I ask your blessings upon us here at City View. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. If you are new here, my name is Jeremiah. I've been gone for a few weeks, but I'm back and I've missed you. I've missed preaching God's word. It is a passion of mine. I love the book of 1 Peter. And as we're in 1 Peter chapter 3, the whole idea I'm wanting us all to get across is as Peter is sharing with these Christians, he has one theme that I've seen is this. We can't stop. We won't stop. The faith that is in us, this belief in Jesus Christ, must be shared with the world. And no matter how hard things get, no matter how much our faith is pushed, no matter how much we believe is stretched and stressed, we can't stop. We won't stop sharing it. We won't stop sharing it in our homes. We won't stop sharing it in our children's ministry. We won't stop sharing it in our lives and our workplaces. We can't stop. We won't stop because the world is in desperate need of a savior. And the only savior is not a country. It is not a government. It is not money. It is our savior, Jesus Christ. And so 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter is now summing up everything he said, starting in chapter 2 around verse 11, now ending in chapter 3. Peter says this in verse 8, to sum up 
all of you, be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Peter has, is finishing this thought in his letter. You know how when you have parts in your letter, if you've, some of you have ever written a letter, some of you have realized probably have never written a letter in your life. That's okay. Peter's writing this letter because there was no email or text or DM or any of that stuff back then. And he wrote in a letter about these relationships that we have in life. First, civil relationships, relationship with like government and, and different authorities like that. And then he worked, he talked about workplace relationships and married relationships. If you are married or plan on getting married, listen to last week's sermon. And then he concludes here with all relationships. And he gives us right here in one verse the Christian code, our values, what we are to live by as believers in Jesus Christ. This is what should define us. This is what should drive us. This is what should, should make us look different than everybody else. These, I think it's five things. Yeah, these five things. And the first thing he said, he says, be harmonious as Christians, meaning be of the same mind, be like-minded. We as believers must keep our minds on the same thing, and that's Christ. Philippians chapter 2 says we are to have the same mind that is in Christ. It's a mind of putting others first. It's a mind of living in submission to each other. It's not a mind of who's first and who can I outdo, but it is a mind of who can I outlove. So Peter says be harmonious. There's a lot of bickering in churches. There's a lot of competition in churches. There's a lot of competition in Christian life. Man, I, we went to the homeschool convention. I don't know if you guys have ever been to that. But man, there's competition in parenting. Like listening to some speakers talk about parenting and talk about homeschooling. Like if you don't homeschool your kid, you don't love them as much as the parents who do homeschool. And I'm like, whoa, I do all three. We homeschool, public school, and traditional school. We do a little bit of all of it. Why? Because we love our kids. And because we love them so much, we're going to give each one what they need in the way of school. But man, some of these people, they're just like causing this harmonious, this conflict. I'm like, no, no, no. Let parents choose. That's what's nice about Arizona. It's interesting when you talk to all the booth people, they're like, man, you guys are lucky here in Arizona to be able to choose what you want to do. But it says be harmonious. We don't want to bicker. We're not trying to one-up one another. That's so many times what happens. We're not trying to one-up. We're, we're wanting to be harmonious in the same mind. That's for Christ, having Jesus as our focus. And then he says, be sympathetic. That means to feel with others. That can be hard for some of us, to not be sympathetic. It's when one of our friends or fellow believers, it's when they suffer, we want to suffer with them. When they weep, we want to weep with them. When they're rejoicing, which this can be one of the hardest for us. When somebody rejoices, we rejoice with them. That can be hard because especially when you're not rejoicing in the moment, you don't want to rejoice with somebody else. You want to try to tear them down so they're not as happy. No, it's rejoicing when others rejoice. Grieve when they sorrow. That's being sympathetic. And then Peter calls us to be brotherly or to, to love. This is the idea of phileo, Philadelphia, that brotherly kind of love. It's to, to stretch love fully out for others. That's the love that we are to have. It's, it's a love that wants to outdo one another. It's a love that is willing to do anything for another person. This is what Peter is calling us to. He says, be harmonious. He says, be sympathetic, be brotherly, be loving. And then he says, be kind-hearted. That means to be sensitive toward 
towards others' needs. Sympathetic is that idea of being able to feel their emotions. Being kind-hearted means being sensitive, being looking for it. And the last thing he says, be humble. To offer oneself as as lowly and submissive, to walk in the spirit of lowliness. Can you imagine if we as a culture lived this way? Like, just think for a moment how many problems would go away if our first thought was, okay, now, does that mean we all can't think different, being harmonious? No, we're all going to have different ideas. Like, some of us are going to be like, the only way to go to church is you've got to dress up somewhat nice. Some people are going to be like, no, you've got to, you can wear socks and flip-flops or flip-flops and shorts or whatever. And some people are going to be like, man, the only way. We can have our different ways. Harmonious is being the mind of Christ, putting others first. But can you imagine if we as a people, if we as a church practice these five things? If we, if that was our way of, of everything in life, if we looked at every situation and go, okay, am I being harmonious? Am I being sympathetic? Am I being loving, brotherly loving? Am I being um, kind-hearted? And am I being humble in this situation? Imagine if that was our filter of life. That would help a lot of things. And I think that's what Peter is trying to get as he's talked about this way of relationships in, in the civil world, the, the relationships in our work world, relationships in our home. And then he sums it up. He says, okay, here's, here's, here's where it's at. Here's the simplicity of it. These five things, this is your code. This is what you write on your wall, on your mirror at home. Be harmonious, be sympathetic, be brotherly, be kind-hearted, be humble. We can't stop. We won't stop. Because our world needs people that live this way. It would change your parenting. It would change how you work. It would change how your relationships are with the people in your life, whether it's at work or at school. And then people just might realize that Christians are different. But you can't do it on your own. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. So Peter, first, he writes about our, 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 the right actions we're supposed to have in those five things. And now he's going to talk about our reaction. I don't know about you. Sometimes my actions can be good, like the way I'm thinking and what I, how I should be. It's my reaction that can be bad. You guys understand the difference? So here's what Peter says about that. He says, verse 9, not returning evil for evil. That is learned at like the age of one and a half. For any of you who have kids, like in two, age two, like they, you put two, two two-year-olds in a room, one takes a toy away, the reaction is hitting. You don't have to teach them that. They just, it's in them. It's in them to react. And so we as parents help. It says, not returning evil for evil, insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Jesus tells us to turn the other cheek. Not returning evil for evil, insult for insult. That's hard. 
It's hard. Because some people are mean. I had a guy, I used to work construction. I worked, I was a welder. And there was a guy, Steve, that I worked with. And every day Steve would pull into the yard. Every day he'd pull into the yard. I'd, be, I'd get there like four in the morning. Um, I don't know why. I just want to start. Well, some days I would get in like two because I, on Fridays when I was younger, my, my father-in-law had a boat, and so we'd go out on the lake by 12. And so if I needed to get all my work done, I had to get in at like two in the morning. But I would come in at like four or five in the morning, and Steve would roll in at like eight. And every morning I'd say, morning, Steve, and Steve would flip me off every morning. And he'd say, what's so good about it? Every morning. I'm not exaggerating. I wish I was. I wish I was like, yeah, I'm making it. No, every morning Steve would flip me off. And I could retaliate. I might want to, but I'm like, what point of that? No, he never changed. But that's in us. We want to just do evil for evil, insult for insult. But God says, give them a blessing instead. What does a blessing look like? Some of us, we don't know. Does that mean like take them out to lunch? Does that mean like pay for them? Does that mean like give them a nice gift? What does that mean to be a blessing? Does that mean like say nice things? No, no. It could be as simple as these few things behind me. We can bless others by loving them unconditionally. That's hard. That's what Jesus did though, but that's hard. We could bless others by praying for their salvation. That's what I did for Steve. I wasn't like overtly nice. I, was, I mean, I wasn't a jerk, but I wasn't like, hey, you know, I wasn't trying to like make him annoyed with me in the morning, but I prayed for his salvation. That's a blessing for other people. We could bless others and pray for their sanctification if maybe it's just praying that God might change their heart. That's a blessing, that they don't even know you're, you're praying on them, but it's a way that you can bless somebody else. We can bless others by sharing our gratitude with them. Hey, you know what? Thank you for showing up on time. Hey, thank you for whatever, you know, being thankful for somebody. Sometimes that's hard. Sometimes have you ever had to be thankful for somebody and you're trying to just dig for any reason to be thankful? Any of you ever? Yeah, any of you who are school teachers, you're probably like, okay, what award can I give this kid? You were great at sharpening pencils and biting them. You get the biting pencils award. We can bless others by forgiving them. I think that's the most difficult blessing that we can give. This is not easy, and this can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. But Jesus is talking about if we want to live a life, if we want to really be a change in the world, if we want to really share our faith, we can't stop. We won't stop living this way that Jesus has called us to live, to be harmonious, to be brotherly, to be kind-hearted, to be sympathetic, to be humble, not reacting, not pursuing evil for evil or insult for insult, but desiring to be a blessing on others. And Jesus, then, and then Peter writes this, for the one who desires life, love, and good days. Don't we all want that? Life, love, and good days. Sounds like the Declaration of Independence too, doesn't it? Peter says this, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. 
He must seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, Peter, we've got to remember, Peter's writing to people who have said, I want to follow Jesus with their life. That's who he's writing to. He's writing to people that have said, you know what, I want to be a difference. I want to be a difference maker, and I want to stand up for what's right. And I, I believe that Jesus died on a cross for me. And so with that, he says, so if you truly want life, love, and good days, if you truly want life, meaning, all, you, meaning all, always, all ways of life living to its fullest, that's what he's meaning, life, meaning in, in all ways of your life, Love, meaning the strong-willed affection or desire. Love. Good days. Just this, this point in your life where it's like, God, you are good no matter what's happening. If we all, if you want this, the one who desires, he says you must. Don't you like it when you know what sort of, if this is what you want, this is how you get it? And then the Bible is very clear. Peter's like, this is, God wants you to have life. He wants you to have love. He wants you to have good days. But it's not just going to be there for you. You just can't go and sin and do whatever you want. And then like God's going to be like, okay, here's life. Here's love. Here's good days. You just, you know, I know you've, you've been a hot mess. And I know you don't care at all what I do. And I know you don't care about all about other people. And so I'm just going to bless your life and make sure your life is good and careless and carefree. And you have everything you ever could want or desire. No, no, no. God says, no, you can't do that. If you want it, if you want these things, he says, you must keep your tongue from evil. Refrain from speaking things that are evil and perverted. He says, you must keep your lips from lying. Be committed to speaking the truth. You're like, okay, Jim, but what kind of lies? Lies like saying the Cardinals are going to win the Super Bowl this year. I mean, that could just be, you've been out in the sun too long and you don't know. He doesn't define lying. He just says lying. He doesn't give limits or like, well, not the little lies are okay, but it's the big lies that we're talking about. No, lying. Keep lips from lying. And he says you must turn from evil. That means reject it. Reject the sinful way, specifically here in how we treat other people. We must turn from evil. That means when we see it, you turn away from it. You don't walk into it. You see it and you actively turn. That's making a conscious, conscious, conscious decision to say no. Because I think we all see the evil Sometimes we're like, ah, but they've really annoyed me today. Anybody ever done that? Somebody has been on your last nerve. I did this yesterday. I walked home. It was like every single, like we went, my wife and I were at the homeschool convention for two days, which is like, it's, it's so tiring. So much input and everything. And it's, I won't say everything. I'll be evil if I walk into what I'm about to say. I walked home. 
My trash wasn't taken out, which I had asked to be done. My, the living room was a hot mess. Cushions were everywhere. It was like my kids took everything and like dumped it on the ground. My kids are speaking not nice things to each other. And instead of leading with harmony and brotherly love and sympathy and, and all those things and not speaking, like I, you still have to address those things, but there's a way of not walking into evil, which I did. I walked right, I busted through the doors of evil. I'm like, what the? And all this stuff came out of my mouth. I'm probably the only person who's ever done that. And my wife, the Holy Spirit that she is sometimes, she's like, honey, 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 honey. And I'm like, I'm through those doors. I'm tur- I've turned to evil. You're like, Jeremiah, that's not that evil. Oh, I, w- w- why are we judging how evil something is? But it's easy to walk into it. It's just as easy to walk away from it. It's just, are you paying attention to that it's there? Because evil is always knocking on the door. And I chose to walk right into it. And Peter says, do good. The world says, do whatever is good for you and whatever feels good and whatever looks good. Peter says, do good unto others. Do what is excellent unto others. And then he says, Seek peace and pursue it. Do I have any hunters in here? Any people that like to hunt? It's only a few, handful of you. This is a hunting term. To seek and to pursue has the idea of to hunt for something. It's with the idea of everything in you to look and seek and find That's this hunt to seek to pursue. It's like how a hunter tracks its prey. We are to hunt for peace. We are to hunt and look for it, to track it down, to find its pathways, to find where it regularly goes. That's what we are called to do for peace. He says, seek peace and pursue it because God's eyes are always watching. This is the way of life that God is calling us to live. We can't stop. We won't stop this because our nation, our communities, and our homes need this way of life. It needs a life that is allowing Jesus to shine out of it and through us that we might live and seek peace and pursue it. And then Peter closes the section with this in verse 13 through 17. Who is there to harm you? Because now he's, he's, as he's closing the statement, he says, okay, does this mean life is going to be just good? 
Because so many people think that once you become a Christian, life is good. No, life still stinks. You still get hard times. You still are going to have rough patches. People are still going to not like you. When you become a Christian, there's a lot of times where people don't like the new you. They don't like that you're nice. They don't like that you're polite. They don't like that you follow the rules. They don't like that you work according to a code and an ethic. They don't like that you want to do what is right in the eyes of God. They don't like that. And so Peter says, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer, meaning it might happen, it's, it's not a for sure, it might. Even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And I love this. And I think this is important for us today. And do not fear their intimidation. And do not be troubled. We are living in a time where intimidation is pushed on you to fall in, to do whatever the nation is saying is right or wrong, or whatever the nation says is love. Love all people. Love is love is love is love is love. And then we get intimidated. So you don't love them? If, if you say they're, that's, that way of life is sin, or if you say, hey, you didn't, like remember when, and I'm not gonna, remember when the whole thing was if you didn't wear a mask, you didn't love other people? Remember when that whole thing went around? And all of a sudden we were like categorizing how much love was according to this, or if you didn't do one thing, or if you did one thing, or now it's, it's going into, well, if you don't accept people for the way they want to live their life, you don't love them, and all these things. Peter is speaking to a church who is under great persecution. He says this, and do not fear their intimidation. You will be intimidated. Some of you have been intimidated at your workplace. You've been intimidated in your schools. You've been intimidated in your communities, in your neighborhoods. Some even in their own churches have been intimidated. And Peter says, do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. He said, hard times will come. They will come. And they're here. They're just going to get harder. But he says, but don't live in fear of it. Don't live in fear of it. And don't be intimidated. I love that, intimidated. He says, but this is the only way we can do all these things. This is the only way we can live by being loving. This is the only way we can be harmonious. This is the only way we can be honest. This is the only way we can follow those five codes. I'm trying to think through them right now. This is the only way we can bless others. This is the only way that we can not lie and, and not be evil and not walk into evil. This is the only way we can live and love and have good days. This next verse is the only way it's possible to be a thriving church, living thriving lives, leaving legacies. This is the only way. If any you do anything else, you're going the wrong way. I listened to this video this other day. This girl calls her dad to prank her dad, and she says, Dad, I put the green gas in the car, but the car won't work. Why'd you do that? Well, because there was a yellow bag over the black one, but I figured the green one was fine to put in the car. That's diesel. That's the wrong thing. You did the wrong thing. If you truly want to live a life, the best life, if you want to have life, love, and godliness, there's only one way. Peter says it in verse 15. But sanctify Christ as Lord of your heart. If anybody else is Lord of your heart, 
you will not experience life. You will not experience love. And you will not experience good days. Sorry, that's just the truth. It's just like that girl, which she just pranked her dad. She didn't really do it, but man, he got mad. He cussed some bad, bad words. And I know I shouldn't have watched that video, but it was funny. And I could still picture my kids doing that. And then all of a sudden realizing we should never have told our dad we did that. Because now he's mad, even though we, it was a lie. But now he's still going to be mad at an imaginary thing. It's sort of like getting mad at your husband for something he did in your dream. But we will all pursue life. And our world wants life. And we all will pursue love. Our world is pursuing love, isn't it? It desperately wants to be loved. In each and every one of us, we desperately want to be loved. But the thing is, so many of us, we don't want to be loved by God. Because when we are loved by God, it means we can't do what we want and we want to be our own God. But our world wants to be loved. We want to experience life and we want to have good days. And Peter says, but you must sanctify Christ as the Lord of your heart. Jesus must be king here not just king up in heaven. He can't just be the guy you pray to. He's the guy you live for. And so many of us, Jesus is here, and he's not here. And we wonder, why do I struggle? Why do I worry? Why do all these things keep happening? Because well, you just see Jesus as the king on your throne who died on your cross, but he's not the king of your heart who's leading everything of your heart. And when Jesus is not here, when he's not reigning your heart, it's why you don't serve. It's why we don't give. It's why we're not seeing a good life. It's why we're not seeing good days. It's why we're not experiencing true love. It's why we're not experiencing all these things. It's because Jesus is just some guy sitting on a throne making sure the world doesn't fall apart, but he's not on the throne of our heart making sure our world doesn't fall apart. So Peter says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give you an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence and with a good conscience, so that in the things in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. That, isn't that true? Wouldn't you rather suffer for doing what is right, just to know your conscience is good, than for suffer for doing what is wrong? And if you ever suffer for doing what is wrong, you're like, dang it, that's my fault. Yeah? I think we all have. The only way to experience this life is to put Jesus as king of our heart. And we put this, a, a commentator named John MacArthur wrote this. He said, we make Jesus as king of our hearts by recognizing his perfection, by magnifying his glory, by worshiping his preeminence, meaning his superiority, and by submitting to his will. And that helps us to be ready to share. So when the world, because the world should be asking, Peter is saying this, the world should be going, why do you have hope? If your life is not asked why you have hope, then your life is not showing hope. It's like advertising. I got a friend over here, he's wearing a Joe's Tacos hat. I'm sure hopefully at least one person says, tell me about Joe's Tacos. And he'll say, do you want to experience your second salvation? 
I'm kidding. They won't save you, but they'll save your stomach. Our lives should be a billboard of the hope that is found in us. So when somebody says, what makes you tick? What makes you different? Why do you have hope in your life? Why, even though there's a, a friend of mine, his name's Bruce, and he's been going through cancer for years. But he still has hope. Not necessarily hope that he's going to be healed. But he has hope that Jesus is still good in each and every day of pain. So Peter says, church, we need you. We need you. We need this. We need, we need to live this way so the world might just ask, what makes you tick? Church, we can't stop. We won't stop. Letting Jesus live through us so the world might just say, why do you have hope? And when Jesus is sitting on the throne of your heart, it's there you will find life. It's there you will find love. And it's there you will find good days. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us hope that we may find good days. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to click the follow button and tune in next week for another great message.